All right. So it is officially 2 p.m. EST. We're going to have more people uh, trickling in, I am sure. But let's go ahead and get started because we have quite a bit to cover. And I personally am really excited to share it with you. Um, First things first, as you guys know, I expect, Umami has launched its completely revamped, completely new front end for its app. Uh, That happened just a couple hours ago. If you haven't checked out umami.finance, please do so. Um, You're in for quite a treat. Um, Before I go any further, I want to give a really big shout out to our devs. Gray Pixel, who is going to be co-hosting this session, is our lead front-end dev and really, really helped spearhead this this push to build the new Umami user interface. Um, and likewise, our chief technology officer, Prepop, clones Cody, who is also helping with our front-end dev work, and um, Tendino and Edis have all made huge contributions, so they deserve a big shout out again if you haven't checked out umami.finance do so and you will see just how deserving they are of um of a really big shout out from the community because this is this is a big deal um and gray pixel here is going to be co-hosting so he's going to walk you guys through some of the functionalities on the new front end before we get into that i just want to share some things on a very high level um first off for those of you who are still learning about umami or have been following us for a long time and have been wondering when we're going to have a comprehensive white light paper that really sketches out all the great things we're doing. Um, I did want to flag for you guys that we officially have launched a um, comprehensive light paper for the project. So you can find that it's at the bottom of the landing page on the new UI. Uh, you can also find it in our medium blog it is pinned and you can find it in our docs there's a version of it there so please check that out i think that you know many questions people have been asking about umami are are going to be sort of comprehensively answered in that light paper i know that you know what we're doing is new it's complex so having this one-stop shop uh, for information is going to be super helpful i'm going to let I'm going to let Graypixel really take the the lead on walking through the UI, but just a few things that I want to flag sort of from a strategy perspective before we get into the nuances. You know, the things that I I really, really want to point out that I think give an indication of where we're going with the project, um, you know, that you you can see sort of the initial, you know, steps towards in our UI. Um, You can check out the exchange tab uh, that our team has built. We have an integrated swap, bridge, and on-ramp function. So, you know, our our partners, Socket and Banksa, have been really critical to that functionality. But the key point here is that people can now swap into the Umami token and also into CM Umami um, from from any chain that's integrated with with Socket's interoperability platform. And they can also on-ramp fiat from 30 currencies directly into Arbitrum through uh, through the Banksa um, SDK that's integrated there as well. So you can see that you know that's going to be even more significant once our vaults have launched. Um, as you guys know, the vaults are going to be tokenized to the ERC forty six twenty six standard, um, meaning that you know that that swap functionality actually over time will provide you know a meaningful on ramp you know to the vault tokens themselves from any chain or 
um, or off chain through the through the bank's uh, um, fiat crypto on ramping functionality. So, you know, that's that's something that, you know, as you guys know, our, our real focus is on tapping into the institutional market. But we also care a lot about our retail investors. We do want to see more retail adoption um, of DeFi and these sorts of functionalities are going to remove a lot of frictions that right now are, are still, uh, I believe, keeping, you know, preventing as many people from using Arbitrum as we might otherwise see. So that's really exciting both for Umami and then also for the network as a whole. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing that I just kind of want to highlight more broadly is, as hopefully you guys are, are exploring the user interface is, you know, I hope that this is get, sending a clear message to our community and to our future partners and, you know, future clients for our vaults that, you know, this, we really do mean what we say when we, when we say that we're trying to build best in class DeFi vaults, that we're trying to build with the institutional market in mind, that we are trying to facilitate the mass adoption of DeFi, the kind of quality that you're seeing here with the user interface, you know, I personally believe, and obviously I'm biased, but I do believe that, you know, this really stands out um, as one of the stronger front ends, you know, both from a user experience and just aesthetic perspective in the DeFi space. This is the sort of front end that we want our potential institutional clients to see, right? And it speaks to kind of the, the rigor and the commitment of this team um, and just be aware that we are taking the exactly the same approach and mindset to our vaults themselves. So once those go live, you're going to see an incredibly rigorously back-tested vault strategy, very thoroughly modeled. We're going to have a very detailed white paper revealing the back-testing data and providing analysis. And we're going to have a very seamless front end led by the same really, really incredible team that put this together today. So with that... Um, I think that it is time to pass the mic to Graypixel, who will walk you guys through all the really great new functionalities we have and some of the cool things that are going to be coming soon. Um, Prepod, did you want to say, uh, just because I think we're going to, I might talk for a little bit, um, if you wanted to just talk uh, briefly on the the status of the, the vaults. Um, yeah, that sure. I'll, sense to go first. I'll give a brief, brief summary of, um, and then I'll let you follow up with all the details on, on the new UI. Um, so yeah, the, um, as DeFi mentioned, you know, and, and if we've mentioned uh, on the AMAs in the past, we have brought our back testing simulation modeling in house for the V2 vaults. And, uh, it has just been a fantastic decision, uh, that we made to do that because, uh, we've learned, uh, you know, so much uh and and have it, to date been able to fine-tune very specific details about the strategy that we wouldn't have been able to otherwise and um, you know we're continually um pushing and, and and testing and improving that process at the same time as um you know developing the smart contracts for the the v2 vaults um, so very excited about um about where we're at with those it's going to be really killer product and um we also have a response back from um, Zokio for the final compound and marinated umami, and that will be published soon um, once they, they put the final graphics on it. And we have also reached out to uh, Zokio to plan our auto for the V2 vaults um, it, it, in Q4 when, when the code is ready. Um, they, they will be ready and waiting to, to start on the audit. Um, really love working with the Zokio team. 
uh, great auditors and, and a pleasure to work with. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's just a quick summary. Uh, but obviously the big news is the new UI, the new front end that has launched. Um, this is phase one of the launch. Um, and, uh, you know, personally, I think it's just a fantastic improvement. Um, and I, I, I want to make another shout out to Gray Pixel Clones Cody for just fantastic work, hardworking devs. Um, it was a, you know, fantastic uh, process, you know, the whole development process from start to finish. This was a brand new um, front end from scratch. Um, and so no easy feat and, and these guys handled it so seamlessly. And I think Clones Cody said it right. He was like, this is the smoothest release we've that he's ever had and, and and me too personally it was it was fantastic so um without further ado i'll let uh gray pixel get into more details about this phase one launch and then kind of the roadmap a sneak peek for the phase two awesome yeah thank you so much both of you for um the the kind words and the, the great introduction i'm i'm super excited to be on this ama as well I, I most people will have seen me uh in the other amas throwing out the hearts and the emojis and things so i'm glad to be up here for once um yeah, so it's launch day for our new UI. Um, and the other thing that we haven't actually mentioned yet on this call is it's also um, launch day for the API too. And just to just to say it again, I know that we've been, there's been lots of thanks, but um, I'm standing up here talking now, um, but I'm talking really on behalf of the, the other people who should be getting more of the credit. And that's um, Clones Cody, who basically, he's obviously been around the community for a long time um, and he's a, a familiar face or avatar um, but he recently joined the team and he just seemed to build a brand new um, API version 2 almost overnight and it's churning out some some really good data now and yeah we're seeing just the start of what that can produce with the new UI so um, really great working with clones. Um, also Tendino and Edis. Um, Tendino is pretty much DeFi uh, design royalty these days um, and his designs um, were amazing from the beginning but Edis came in and he just added this um, uh, really cohesive and coherent um, branding to it to, to make everything pull together and it now fits with all of the other kind of unmistakable Edis quality for the um, for the light paper that we've seen today and and all of the social media stuff too. Um, and obviously Prepop and DeFi for pulling together a team that I'm just really, really proud to be a part of. And actually everyone else in the team has contributed in some way to the new UI. Um, so yeah, to get started, I, I wanted to quickly revisit what the role of a DeFi front end is, um, because it's fair to say, you know, you can look at it with a skeptical hat on and say, well, it's, it's optional, isn't it? Because if you want to, you can access the, the contracts through Etherscan or through some command line interface or some other nerdy way. And ultimately, the value is being created for the protocol in the smart contracts. That's where Web3 differentiates itself from, um, from Web2 with all of the properties of smart contracts. But, you know, I wouldn't be here if I thought that the, the front end didn't add a lot of value. Um, and I think it has two key roles. The first is facilitating access to those contracts and facilitating access to the value that those contracts create. Um, and this is pretty obvious, you know, ultimately we want people who, you know, not just um, people who can call methods on contracts themselves. We want to be able to help people do that. We want to open this to as many people as we possibly can, and we want to make it an enjoyable and painless experience when they, when they do use it. Um, so that's straightforward. 
And the other role is is communication. Um, and there's there's two two types of communication for this. There's the the explicit stuff, the words and the numbers on the page. What are we doing? How are we doing it? How well is the protocol performing? How well is your um, position in the protocol doing? Um, but there's also a more kind of a more subtle side, and I think a slightly more interesting side, which is the the implicit communication that DeFi touched on. Um, the if you think about it, the front end is the only tangible manifestation of something technical, of a technical um, implementation that most people can actually make any kind of judgment about. I think the majority of DeFi users, if you gave them a contract, they probably wouldn't even be able to tell you whether it worked, let alone whether it was well-written, you know, like a group of contracts are well-written or whether they're all just hanging together by a thread. But on the front end, when you use a front end, you can tell, you know, are there errors? Um, is it fast? Does it get stuck? Um, and also, kind of, almost more importantly, you can you can look at it and you can say, this looks incredible. And all of this kind of contributes to your view of credibility. But it's not just credibility of how good the front end is; it's credibility of how good all of the technical team is, and actually how all of the all of the team in general. So. I feel a huge responsibility as part of the team who are who is basically delivering this this front end to make sure that I'm representing the people that I work with um, in a in a really in a good way and and doing them justice basically um, and so that's why I think the the launch today is really really important because yes uh, if you look at what's changed um, we've we've mentioned the new branding. Um, and the new branding is actually probably the biggest part of this. It has the biggest impact. And even though it's, you know, for some people, you might just say, well, you just made it look prettier. Um, but actually, the, what that does for Umami is, is huge. Because ultimately, if you think about where Umami is trying to go, we are trying to onboard institutional capital. Um, yeah, that's what our aspirations are. And... I, I don't know because I haven't talked to them, but I'd hazard, hazard a guess that there are people within these institutions that we'd like to bring into DeFi who are skeptical at least, um, especially when they hear, hear the words crypto or, or DeFi or whatever. So the worst thing for us would, if, would be if somebody came to look at the protocol, to look at the product, and they saw something that they thought didn't look professional, looked a bit, you know, um, maybe not quite so polished as we wanted it to um, or, or worse had like DeFi kind of back alley vibes to it. And that's where we've really tried to, that's what we've really tried to move away from because we want people to come here and, and see a polished, um, uh, really, really professional looking app that is, is smooth and integrated and represents us well. And I really hope that you'll agree that we've, we've achieved that with the new designs. And, and as I say, that's very, very much down to um, Tendino and Edis who have, who have put this together and, and given the app this amazing look and feel. Um, so I just want to cover a couple of the other things that are on the, on the, um, on the app. So obviously DeFi has mentioned the exchange tab. Um, that's mostly powered by, by Socket. And it's basically representing our, our first step into um, easing the transition onto and across different chains um, and easing you know, interactions with the protocol. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how we can more deeply integrate this as well. So 
you know, right now it's it's slightly external, but it's it's still there. Um, but we definitely have aspirations to bring socket uh, integration more deeply into the app as well. Um, we've obviously got uh, a lot of well, some new data, um, and as I said, this is this is the tip of the iceberg, really, because we've only just got the the new API out, um, and we're already seeing now. Um, the Imami distribution chart, for example, is now the single source of truth for, um, you know, basically you can you can come to this and you can get a live view of the Imami distribution um, and you know that it's going to be right. Um, and also the Marinate metrics is just a glimpse of what we're going to get from performance about the protocol in general. And data is a big area that we plan to um, to move towards. We're definitely going to have some very data centric areas of the UI. Um, both on like a protocol level, uh, showing performance of the new vaults, um, showing performance of Marinate with more detail, um, but also a more personal level as well. So there's a, a portfolio tab um, that's marked as coming soon. Uh, that's definitely going to have some some really cool metrics. And ultimately, I think you know that's what people want to see. They want to they want to come to the come to the site and see how everything's go, getting on. And that portfolio tab is going to be a great place to do that. Um, and obviously the vaults tab as well, a really, really important part of the vaults is understanding both past and current performance um, and seeing how everything goes. So the the API behind that, that Clones Cody's been building out is, um, is super, super important. Um, and lastly, I just want to mention that the UI is is completely built from scratch. So I don't think we share a single line with the, with the previous UI, which is, um, you know, in a way, like it shouldn't matter to you and it, and it doesn't really matter to you. But the the upside of it is that it should be faster to fix things. It should be much faster to add things and it should be an all round better experience from everyone. And and on that, I think um, just a final point, because I've, I've probably been talking too much now. Um, I think Amami's previous UI um, was it, it did the job but i don't think it represented the protocol as well as we'd have liked and i guess i say previous ui i should say previous uis um but i don't think it really was the right face um for us at this stage and actually i i will say that i think the community really really filled that gap um because when you go to the discord and you see the the kind of um the quality uh, uh, of the of the people who are there um, and the the discussions that are being had and basically it just feels like it's a place that's full of alpha and full of incredible people and I really do think that the community has plugged the gap um, that the, that was was there for the UI so I really hope that this UI is, is a better representation not only of the team but also of the whole community and that basically the wider team um, that sits behind it. And, and on that, I want the community to be a part of it too. So if there are um, suggestions that you have, definitely if there's feedback um, and or any bugs or any, any fixes that you need, then uh, part of what I want to do is, is be open to that, um, to listen to that and make sure that we can involve you in in the process going forward um so yeah really looking forward to feedback um and that's pretty much all i wanted to say i just wanted to, to give a quick introduction to to everything um if there are any questions i'm happy to take them but i'm going to hand back to uh to DeFi, i think um to kind of field questions and answers from this point thank you great pixel um it was a real 
it was a real privilege just having a chance to to listen to your thoughts. I think that was one of the you know deeper and more thoughtful analyses of the role of really good uh, of a really strong UI and good UX in DeFi that I've heard. And I think you know obviously I, I fully agree with you, right? I mean we've uh, we've been delighted with everything you've been doing, and it's all been very aligned with our vision. But it was great to uh, great to hear you really articulate it. And I think that you know this. UI that we've put out and, you know, especially in conjunction with our overall strategy really is a step towards, you know, seeing the entire DeFi space upgrade in terms of, you know, the user experience, accessibility, and and its own ability to reach out beyond kind of just that DeFi native um, user base. So this is really exciting. Um, and I I think at this point, let's just open it up to, to questions from the community. I think, you know, we've covered a lot of great ground here, and I'm sure People have all sorts of questions. So just as a reminder, we have uh, a channel called AMA Questions in our Discord. So folks who don't want to speak up in the spaces can just type out their questions there. And myself, Ed, and Prepop will be reading those. So with that, let's uh, let's open it up. One, one question I'm seeing is in the AMA Questions in chat from Kingfish, um, just asking, does the vendor and he's referring to banksa that we use for on-ramping fiat to crypto include a revenue share um we don't we do not receive any revenue from um fees paid to banksa banks of course you know is a for-profit entity and and does take you know some kind of fees for on-ramping um fiat to arbitrum but um, we're not we're not profiting off that that's really um something that we're just embedding as a service to our community and anyone who wants to um on-ramp to Arbitrum for the first time and do so seamlessly. So that's uh, that's the role of, of the bank's integration. And now we have Kingfish uh, ready with the, the the questions on spaces. I'm it's nice to nice to meet you outside of Discord. Yeah, I appreciate uh, the team here taking the time to communicate with us. Uh, as always, continue to be increasingly impressed uh thank you for the light paper looking forward to a new paper that was just discussed uh about backtesting of vault strategy can you i i i have a few questions here but just to get this one out the way what's the eta on on that sure um i'll i'll let prepop get into the details but i i can say that you know, I think when we last discussed this, we were looking at one to two weeks to finalize backtesting. But Prepop, you've, you've got the latest. You can update Kingfisher. Yeah, we're going to have a little bit more time to, to generate some more results. Um, I would say uh, in November is when we're, Prepop, we're planning on publishing. Okay? Can you hear me, guys? Can you hear me? I'm hearing you fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so um, in, in November... Um, is, is likely when we'll publish that. And again, you know, we're going to go into um, all the details on, on, you know, how we set the backtesting up and, um, you know, the data, the whole, the process and, and obviously the ro results. Um, and the neat thing is we're going to have some comparison too of, of um, you know, some of the different important independent variables of the strategy that we've tested and, and, and really honed in on. But um, yeah, hopefully, you know, hopefully that's uh, um, 
going to come out in November. Uh, you know, the, the team's uh, first priority is is obviously getting these back testing results and and um, and the vault code itself too. Uh, but but we are working hard on finishing up that paper um, with the results. So yeah, hopefully in in November, I would say in the timeline for them. Great, awesome. Looking forward to it. Uh, this second question here. Um, in as much as GMX continues to hold informal discussions inside its own community about expanding its primary product to either include more assets or create synthetic assets and all sorts of other stuff. What is the strategy of Umami to kind of stay in lockstep with the underlying, especially from a risk perspective? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, would we pause vaults? Uh, would you just kind of have a period of, okay, where we're going to hold a four-week carry trade on this risk and just hope it doesn't go sideways? Uh, I guess, I mean, it, in, in, in what sense are you in dialogue with the GMX team? Uh, sure. Just give, give us an idea about that. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's a, a good, really good question. Good. I'll, I'll share a few thoughts um, on that, and Prepup can chime in as well. Um so first off, we are in very close dialogue with GMX and we, you know, they do give us the courtesy of providing us with advance notice for any changes that would affect our product. Um, my understanding, uh, and I, I'm fairly confident in this, although I do defer to the GMX team, is that, you know, GMX has a deep appreciation of the fact that by keeping the um, tokens in the GLP basket, you know, very, very heavily weighted towards ETH, BTC, and stables. They do produce an asset in the form of GLP that is, you know, far more, far more composable, far more favorable to, you know, serving as the foundation of, you know, additional ecosystem activities such as our vaults and, you know, just an overall more attractive asset for liquidity providers. So, you know, again, I do defer to GMX, but our, our general understanding is that, you know, this you know, very heavy concentration into ETH, BTC, and US and various stable coins is here to stay. Um, and, and I do personally think it would be um, a mistake to add too many other tokens, you know, particularly altcoins to the GLP basket. And, you know, you referenced the synth platform that they're launching. Um, you know, my my expectation and my, my assumption is that that's actually going to be, you know, a really useful platform for offering GMX users a wider array of assets that they can uh, transact in. And, and that takes a little bit of pressure off of GLP to, you know, expand its basket, which, again, you know, wouldn't be the best for liquidity providers. So, you know, the, the key point, though, is that, you know, GMX is, is very in a very close, has a very close relationship with us. Um, you know, we are careful to make sure that everything we are building takes advantage of what is permissionlessly available to the community for, you know, in, in almost all cases, because we we don't want to have, you know, the sort of single point of failure that can come from relying on kind of a formal partnership agreement with a protocol that we're building on top of. But informally, we talk to them, you know, almost daily, certainly every week. So, if there are any changes coming down the pike, they would let us know. You had mentioned, you had asked, you know, would we do some sort of four-week carry trade or, you know, some other kind of ad hoc strategy to manage risk if there were a change to GLP? Short answer is, you know, almost certainly no. And the reason for that is we are not, you know, we do not have a custodial relationship with these vaults or the assets in the vaults. We 
uh, would not swoop in and, you know, engage in some kind of active management strategy as if we were a hedge fund that doesn't align with the stated, you know, strategy and, and goal of the vault products that we're launching. So I think the the most likely solution, if there were to be a significant change in GLP, and, and I, I need to be careful not to share too much alpha, but suffice it to say that we will have sufficient composability within this vault strategy kind of broadly defined that we could navigate um, a change in a way that would not involve us, you know, just, you know, exercising admin perms and actively managing any tokens. We would not do that. So hopefully that's helpful and pre pop. Um, feel free to share any thoughts that you want to share. Yeah, sure. That I think that was a good uh, coverage of the question. Um, obviously, uh, you know, it, it is important to have that communication with GMX, um, but we, we certainly have plans of vaults, uh, as DeFi mentioned, to be composable because if GLP does change in any way, right, there needs to be adjustments made um, to our strategy to account for that. That could be including new assets, which I think is highly unlikely, uh, at least in Arbitrum um, GLP, or the removal of assets. And I don't think that um, that GMX has ruled out ever removing uh, things like Link or Uni in GLP. That, so that is a possibility um, that we are prepared for if it does occur in the future. And of course, we have heard nothing of this. It's just pure specu speculation and planning on our part. Um, and so also, I think the uh, Avalanche GLP composition, um, you know, that that's a little bit more diversified. Um, and I think that blend of GLP on Avalanche has a higher chance of shifting, whether it's adding or removing assets. But it is something that uh, has definitely big, been a big consideration in the architecture of, of the vault code. And um, you also mentioned, I think, the new product of GMX, which is synthetics. And um, as I understand it now, I'm not um, I'm not the expert in synthetics yet, as I've been focusing mainly on GLP. But synthetics have isolated uh, LP risk pools, right? So the the risk is isolated um, to those to those pools and will not affect um, GLP. It will not share revenue with GLP, and it will not. Um, you know, add risk or change composition of the funds of GLP, uh, besides possibly um, swaps uh, for GMX's UI if they're swapping into certain tokens to, to deposit in the synthetic LP or something like that. GLP may be used for swaps. But um, so that, you know, that takes off a lot of new product risk from GLP because you're not having, you know, not worried about how synthetics might come in and, and cause some chaos with, with uh, the GLP liquidity. Um, which is which is nice, and um, I think overall it's a great thing for um, you know Arbitrum's ecosystem, both us and GMX and and all of GMX's partners um, to be getting an influx of users that might um, you know hear about the synthetics and new products and things, and and then ultimately uh, end up taking leverage changes with with uh, the GLP products as well so um, new user growth is always always beneficial and and will almost certainly have some spillover into all the products on on uh, arbitrum okay, absolutely no it, it, so to, to read that back i mean very low risk of anything on the asset risk side changing and uh pretty much the same risk of the liability side changing simply because it sounds like cents are isolated on gmx uh, frankly, I, I don't know. It's, I haven't read up on the, the new synth system either on GMX. So I, I, I additionally have some research to do there, but it all, all sounds good. Um, 
I'm happy to take more airtime here. Um, you guys tell me, are there anyone else requesting to, to ask questions here? You know, why don't, why don't you ask one more question and then we'll open it up to more folks after that. Sure. Um, I, I guess this is a, a meat space question. I'm, I'm curious to, as to why um, the team is considering to get the licensure. It is, it's actively pursuing uh, in the sense that like, to me, it, it, you guys are running a, a hedge fund more or less. Um, it, why not just run this as like a limited partnership and sell partnership interests on whatever withdrawal period to institutions? Like, what are the benefits of trying to form the way you're forming? Like, I, I don't understand, you know, most crypto hedge funds aren't an IRA. So why are you becoming an IRA? And, and what's the pros and cons here? That's that's a good question. I'll share some thoughts. I also invited um, our CLO, um, Alex G, up as well, and he can share some additional thoughts. But but for just from a strategy perspective, there's some really important points I want to make. I, I will push back gently against the notion that we are like a hedge fund um, for for a couple reasons. But let's let's start with what I consider the most foundational, which is that, you know, we when these vaults are live, right, they are going to be, you know, tokenized with these you know, fully tradable, fungible tokens. And the the goal of all this modeling and backtesting that we are doing right now before launching the vaults is so that you know we can have this you know algorithmic um non-custodial strategy in place that you know produces from the vantage point of the user right an extremely straightforward almost you know one could say purposefully boring uh sort of experience where you deposit eth and you're just getting you know competitive yield on that ETH, right? So, you know, a hedge fund, just, just to compare, you know, a fully fungible tradable token that simply is, you know, a claim on kind of, you know, the, the same market delta as ETH, but gaining value as, you know, the, the underlying um, deposit assets accrue yield um, is, is very, very different from an LP share in a hedge fund. There's obviously a liquidity element to it. Um, but on a deeper level, the point of tokenization is, you know, we expect that, you know, that those tokens will be, you know, integrated into the DeFi ecosystem in different ways. We also fully expect to see these tokens, um, and we're in partnership talks for exactly what I'm about to say, which is we want to see, you know, third party uh, digital asset custodians, um, CeFi platforms of all sorts, custody our tokens on behalf of their institutional, their own institutional clients, right? So, you know, whereas a hedge fund would be, you know, kind of these illiquid, you know, kind of one-off uh, investments by LPs, right? You know, that they would be able to maybe withdraw quarterly and that would have none of that kind of composability and fungibility. That what we're creating here is something that can circulate widely throughout the DeFi space and throughout, you know, different CeFi platforms. Um, so the RIA structure is, you know, part of a vision of really just being able to allow clients to you know choose themselves oh hey i already hold um you know eth on coinbase prime now you know in an ideal world maybe we would you know have a custodial relationship with coinbase prime so they could just deposit that eth you know into our vaults hold the vault tokens you know custody with them or you know if if they want maybe if they don't have an existing custodian they use 
eventually we would have, you know, our own on-ramp, you know, through the licensure that we've talked about before. So that's, that's fundamentally different from a hedge fund. And again, a hedge fund, I'm not saying we would never do it because that could just be another useful way for us to, you know, help certain types of institutions access our vaults um, who wouldn't otherwise be able to. But, you know, what is, <laughs> there's, we're building these vaults, as I said, to be non-custodial, to be trustless, to be, you know, permissionless, highly liquid and fungible. And if we, you know, are only, if we, if the primary distribution mechanism were a hedge fund structure, a lot of that value would be completely lost. So again, you know, we're trying to thread the needle, you know, in essence here between, you know, being fundamentally a DeFi project, we're trying to meet institutional investors where they're at, but we're trying to, to lose as little of the value add from tokenization, trustlessness and permissionlessness as possible in doing so, right? And so that's that hopefully gives some color um, on our thinking around that. Is that helpful, King Fisher? Yeah, the, the benefits are undoubtedly true. And the way you put it is undoubtedly true. And it, you know, you're definitely on the right side of history. Um, I, the, what are the cons here? The cons is this is in, incredible overhead to try to get all these ducks in a row from a legal perspective. Uh, I guess the, the question morphs into where are we at? Like what's what's the roadmap cool. here? What would have been the challenges? How close are we? How far are we? So the key point there is, you know, I, I fully agree, and that is why behind the scenes, a very substantial portion of my time and several other, you know, folks on the business side of the team um, is devoted to working through partnerships with major CPI platforms who already have the licensure required in the U.S., who already have custodial capabilities. So you know, the beauty of what we're doing is that you know, by virtue of having those tokenized, you know, ERC forty six twenty six vaults, right? Those those tokens can just be custodied by you know any number of you know CFI digital asset custodians, the same way many others can be, right? So once we're onboarded with them, we're it's it's actually a double benefit, right? We we are saving, we are we are putting ourselves in a position where we no longer need to wait until we have our own licensure to be able to you know reach the institutional market. Plus, obviously, right, just the, the legitimacy that comes from, you know, being, you know, partnered with a major CFI platform, the access to their network of institutional investors who already are interested in these types of products is, it, you know, also we think will really accelerate, you know, uptake of our tokens. And then alongside that, yes, we'll be pursuing, you know, the MSB license and the RIA and, you know, whatever else that we need in order to be able to provide that service ourselves but that is think of that much more as a long-term play because just as a general strategic strategic principle i would not want umami to be totally reliant on any third party in order to be able to reach its end user so of course we want to build out that infrastructure ourselves. but you know in terms of scaling our vaults over the next two quarters think about those um, partnerships with the you know existing digital asset custodians is the key Awesome. That helps me tremendously. Uh, I don't want to, I have more questions, but I'll, I'll bow out for a second here. So I see a question from um, Copertes in the, in the AMA questions and, and they're on the call as well. Um, so I just want to take that one. Um, so yeah, I, basically the question is, um, is there any chance that we can have a visual on how much umami or marinating umami 
we hold um, when when we're holding compounding umami. Um, and that's a really, really good point. And this is a great example of um, the type of feedback that we want. Basically, um, I think we, at the moment, when, you, when you're when you holding compounding umami, um, you can see the dollar value. Uh, but yeah, there's no, there's no indicator to show exactly how much umami there is right now. Um, and I've already put that in the roadmap. Um, and we'll, we'll find a place to fit that in. Um, basically, it's just about trying to, trying to squeeze it in in the right place, but definitely a really good, a good point. So thanks for that one. Great. Thanks, Great Pixel. Um, I also see a question from OX Arrow saying, are there any plans to launch other stablecoin vaults with Frax or others? Um, you know, without maybe revealing, you know, too much, I, I can say that, you know, we've had really positive conversations with Frax. We definitely support what they're doing. We support the idea of having a decentralized stablecoin to complement USDC. Um, you know, as much as, as much as we do love USDC, there's a use case for, um, and, you know, I think folks know that, you know, Frax has been, you know, very keen to see, you know, general uptake of their, you know, Frax stable coin by, um, deploying FXS incentives, uh, for, you know, various DeFi products that use, uh, the Frax stable coin. So long story short, you know, right now we are very, very focused on getting our initial suite of vaults uh, launched. Um, Frax is one of the underlying tokens in GLP. We could absolutely see, you know, potential for even, you know, deeper integration of Frax utility into um, our various stablecoin products, um, such as sort of, you know, a Frax uh, deposit, you know, a, a very uh, front and center Frax deposit option for our vaults. It's actually the case that people will be able to use Frax to go directly into our stablecoin vault anyway. But we could imagine foregrounding that and trying to work on a really cool uh, partnership with, you know, Frax to, you know, where there might be some, you know, additional APR from FXS incentives and, you know, some, uh, you know, Frax liquidity, for example, for the vault token. I'm just sharing ideas. None of this is set in stone, but hopefully you can see that, you know, just the fact that I am sharing, you know, as many ideas as, as I am, you know, points to the fact that we've been talking about this, you know, we, we like Frax, we would be keen to do something like this at some point. It's just that we're, you know, the, the, the initial suite of vaults is so mission critical for what we're trying to do that, you know, thinking of sort of ancillary add-on partnerships right now is not our primary focus, but it very well might be um, in, you know, sometime in 2023. Hopefully that's helpful. Does anyone else uh, have questions? It looks like we've answered all of the questions in the AMA questions channel in Discord. Um, and I know Kingfish, you've mentioned you know that you might want to ask some more. But before we do that, let's just give a couple, a minute or two, if anyone else wants to speak up, and then we can go back to uh, chatting with Kingfish. All right, um, Kingfish, did you was there another question that you wanted to ask? Yeah, sure. I'll take as much time as you give me. Um, sure. Uh, let's use a metaphor. To me, I, I want to know if the the administration and management of the vault is like a Tesla self-driving car, or is it you know driving you know a, a car with few, uh, full human input, or is it somewhere in between where you're piloting a seven forty seven and most of the time it's on autopilot? Uh, specifically with regards to you know hedging strategies uh, and you know rebound quote unquote rebalancing the book. Uh, yeah. Like how how much day to day intervention is there, and like what are the risk parameters here? I I, I could take this one. Yeah. So um, it it's an interesting analogy, but it would be like self driving car on, on a Tesla, 
with a caveat that there will be uh, software updates, and the update it would not be on the vault code um, itself. That's composable enough um, in its structure, but the contracts that we use are not upgradable. Uh, they're immutable. So once they are deployed, those are the smart contracts that will be used. They cannot be changed um, unless we do, you know, a full migration, which is is um, is not planned, right, for, for a very long time. Uh, we're building these to, to last for um, as long as we need the strategies. But the, the, the part that is doing, like, the meat and potatoes of the rebalancing um, is um, uh, an algorithm that, uh, you know, the complexity, when we first explored, we thought about implementing it on-chain. There are some limitations in Solidity um, right now, just as a programming language with... Uh, you know, any, even floating point math, right, is a challenge for the way that the EVM is built. Uh, but um, so we ha we do have an off-chain keeper um, that is really like, uh, you know, you could liken to the self-driving software where um, the keeper is, the keeper bot has the rebalancing algorithm that has been fine-tuned in the back testing. Um, and all it does is, you know, permissionlessly take all of the values that are in all the vaults. And and these, as we'd mentioned in, in some questions before, all of these values are are um, available on the smart contract to see the balances and, and um, you know, the positions of the vaults. Um, and so it'll take all this information along with anything else that you can gather on chain um, through GMX platforms, such as Oracle pricing and, and open interest and everything. Um, and it feeds it into this algorithm, and then it it slices up the uh, the allocations, and uh, it is a permissioned keeper, meaning like uh, it is the only address that could make this call on the contracts to 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 do the allocations. And this is the thing where it'll have no intervention from us. Like we'll never go in and be like, oh, we need to tweak the. Um, you know, we need to increase Bitcoin because we think it's going to do X because they just announced something like it, it's fully automated. But, you know, there is a chance where um, as we get the the first month of results, we'll realize we can make a slight tweak to it to increase the APR by X or, or reduce risk of, of uh, you know, tail risk of some edge case or something. So we may upgrade the algorithm, which can be done, you know, seamlessly um, on, on the keeper side. But um but yeah, I I think that's a good way to to describe it. And then on the on the risk control side, I, I guess who's on like firewatch to make sure that you know nothing is going horribly wrong at any given time. Yeah, so we plan to have um, you know a, a series of notifications uh, through the stack, right? And and now it's possible to have um, on chain alarms. There's obviously. Uh, keeper, which needs to have server infrastructure, which which can have um, its own watch alarms and and backup system, and you know as far as um, the redundancy reliability of the keeper, um, we're really happy with how the 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 first vaults performed. Um, like we had no issue in in terms of um, you know infrastructure reliability, making the calls, things like that with the keeper. So. Um, but there, you know, it, it's done through a system of alarms. Um, it's, it's kind of neat. One of the, the nice things about having a global team is having, um, the time zones align in which there's, there's always work getting done. Like <laughs> when I'm going to sleep, um, you know, uh, that we have devs, uh, around the world and, and, uh, 
in in countries in in India and in Australia that uh, are able to take over, and um, you know, it, it, you know, so there is, you know, there is there there could be situations where we do need some kind of intervention, but we do have uh, um, you know processes and and alarms and and things to set out to to handle that sort of thing. Um, and what of your other question? Uh, the first part of your question was about. Um, risks, uh, right? The risks of not just a keeper going down, but there could be extreme market condition risks, right? And this is kind of built into the strategy that we're back testing too, because, um, and there could also be risks of GLP allocation changing sharply or our own vaults TVL uh, dramatically shifting, right? If there is uh, somebody that has $20 million in the vault, yep. they could they could pull out sharply, and so these are all things that the vault innately um, can handle, um, and and you know this will all be in in the details of our of our. I I, I don't want to reveal our our, our uh, exact tactics right now, but these are all conditions that we have um, you know thought about and and have implemented escape valves for for these things. And um, you know some of it stems from lessons learned on on V ones, and some of it has been discovered through the back testing and and modeling, which. Again, I'm really happy that that we're taking the time to to develop in house and really analyze this, you know, in in such a way that we that we can get these answers. Also, as always, looking forward to uh, as much information as you guys publish. Um, looking look at the, at the end of the day, the reason I'm asking so many questions is because I think this is an insanely valuable product um, for a much larger audience than even the, you know, the day one goal of, of going straight to institutions. Um, so uh, that is the reason uh, I'm diligencing this so much. Uh, it's because I think it's, it's got a great chance here. So congratulations to all you guys. Appreciate the time today. Thanks Kingfish and great questions. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And for the record, I love, I love when people are interested, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really nice to get to talk about what you're working so hard on. So uh, yeah, I really appreciate the questions. Absolutely. So does anyone else uh, have any questions that they want to ask? I see Kapatiz is working on writing something up in the Discord. Um, we have about nine minutes left in our AMA. So if anyone has questions they want to ask on spaces, here's Iceberg. Let me uh, add you as a speaker. Hey, Iceberg. Hey, what's up? How you doing, guys? And uh, I was just about to ask about... Uh, uh, what are you? What are you guys thinking about uh, when it comes to MEV, MEV, uh, mining, mm-hmm. mining extraction value, and then uh, which course or which uh, which uh, direction are you heading? Are you heading uh, what flashbots are doing or what full manifold are doing mm-hmm. or like will you will you try to like get back the MEV back to the protocol or to to keep the assets back to the pro- protocol or what do you think when it comes to yeah. offer, offer yeah. arbitration? Yes, yeah. Creep up. Do you want to speak to that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is another one, another one for me. So, um, you know, we don't want to get into into too many specifics, but obviously, um, ETH staking is a very fascinating uh, field right now, right? And uh, with a proof of stake successful merge, which I don't think the Ethereum team got enough credit for uh, how technically complex a challenge that was and how seamlessly 
um, they were able to complete the merge. Like that, that was incredible, um, incredible to watch. But it certainly has shifted, um, switching from mining to staking and how, um, you know, the MEV is, is being handled. And, you know, to me, it's almost like it's still in a very um, volatile uh, time frame, right? There's there's protocols competing. There's shifting dominance. There's um, obviously um, the OFAC censorship and other censorship is playing a really big role in how people are are uh, voicing their concerns about the decentralization and openness of of the out of the validator process right now. Um, and so I think it's clear, like as a DeFi protocol, with our alignments to um, you know, uh, very bullish on Ethereum. Um, it, you know, we're going to be a part of the mix of of um, of staking and, and validators. And so, with that, there's a large a large stack, uh, vertical stack of of where you can play a part of of, of the role. Um, and I think you know we we uh, are very serious about uh, you know decentralization. And um, the the space needs more competitors in, in in every aspect of that, right? Like I think this is um, if we can think of uh, cryptocurrency, um, Bitcoin, and and Ethereum, it's it's a very um, economics oriented, right? It's very about incentives. It's very about um, the free market and free market dictation. And, um, you know, I, I think there's, there's a ton of, of write-ups and opinions and things about, um, how MEV should be handled, how, um, you know, how, is there a fair way to handle MEV, right? Is there a fair way? And I don't think there's an answer for that way. Yeah. And the, the Ethereum Foundation's response is pretty much like, this is the way it works, right? This is the way MEV works. You can, Transactions can be re- reordered into blocks, and validators mine them, and that's and it's up to the free market to decide how that actually works. And so that adds to the volatility, right, of of uh, of the ongoing protocols and things. And so we, as a protocol, have early on identified this like this is a key area that we want to be in, both because it allows you to have an important. Um, an important role to play on on shaping Ethereum's decentralization nature, shaping its path forward, um, and uh, and it also allows for uh, you know revenue to be made through uh, the you know through through Mavinka, which is going to happen. It's going to happen either way, right? Because the opportunities in MEV exist, whether people want them to or not. There is a lot of money to be made in the way and the efficiencies and and ordering of transactions. And it's like that, too, with traditional markets. Um, It's just in a much more centralized and and controlled by just a very select few. So um, I'm very... um, I'm very supportive of of Flashbots, Flashbot system, uh, uh, and I think they have a good, um, you know, ethos. I think they have a good message um, of trying to pri- prioritize decentralization. I think they have a long way to go. I think they've outlined, you know, some roadmaps and some steps um, of increasing transparency, decentralization, and things. But they still have a ways to go to, go, to get there. And I also think. Um, 
you know, I, I was an avid user of Flashbots um, in, in the past, but even before joining um, for, you know, for, for MevBots. And, and um, I think they have, they already have a market dominance of um, both people submitting to their relays, you know, for, for blocks to the re- relays and also yeah, for validators um mining right like uh, there was a sign- they had significant market share like 70 or 80 percent of miners uh using their their uh the flashbots uh gas but um f- for mev boost right there was been a little bit slower adoption um for the relay and and yeah there's there's centralization criticisms and um anyway so you know i could speak uh, just in in broad terms, like this is a very a, an area we're very interested in, and it, you know we're going to be communicating more about the details of our strategy, but it will be um, it will be taking advantage of just validating in general, right? Just running a validator, you're both well, helping support the ecosystem, the uh, Ethereum ecosystem, um, and you're also able to generate. It's a great investment, right? You're it's a great investment of of generating income. And it can it can scale um, through efficiencies, whether it's um, you know strategies to take advantage of MEV. And I will say, as a whole, uh, the way that we would ever handle MEV transactions is is fully ethically right. There are some um, unethical MEV tactics, and and uh, you know, sam- I think sandwich attacks um, are are probably top of the list of of kind of malicious uses of. <laughs> Of MEVs, and so uh, I think there's plenty of, of opportunities uh, that are are less malicious and, and less devastating for users than, than like sandwich attacks. So uh, I think it's very important too that uh, as a protocol, we we have an ethical guideline that we stick to um, in terms of of uh, you know the, the the way of extracting value out of out of reordering things like that. Thanks, thanks, appreciate. Uh, it was a good answer and long answer and. And it's a very important topic and an opportunity to see how uh, it works or how you can, you guys can like uh, get like use the advantage of uh, MEV and, and and like do it for the protocol and to have validators and enough eat to 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 get more opportunities on uh, MEV. So it's very good to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. So, so that was kind of the you know my my general broad view uh, stance on on Mev. But to answer your question more specifically, um, you know we will have Umami nodes, uh, a, a staked ETH validator product, um, and those products will generate fees for the protocol. And sure. the details are not finalized, but those protocol fees will be shared for staked Umami holders. Uh, in the future. That's obvious. That's obvious because yeah. you create more incentives of good real yield of uh, of having validators or the notes. So that's 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 very good to see all the opportunities around for for good uh, good yield for for the protocol. The protocol, of course. So uh, thank you, Iceberg, for your great questions and and Prepop, Thanks for uh, walking us through your your thinking around MEV. I think that's going to be an increasingly important and exciting topic as we. Uh, Get in, you know, after we launch our first suite of vaults and get into 2023, at which point we will be, you know, talking a lot more and focusing more on our our next uh, suite of products uh, that will launch next year. 
Um, but with that, I see it's three o'clock and, you know, I do just as a sort of general service to the team, want to keep these capped at one hour. So I really appreciate everyone's time today. I uh, hope you guys enjoy the UI. Another big shout out to Prepop, Graypixel, Tendino, Edis, and Clones for their hard work on this and, you know, many more good things to come. So thank you so much, guys, and talk to you next week. Thank <music> you.